You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, this week we're joined by Philip Seuss, an independent economist and PhD candidate investigating bank crime and mortgage control fraud. You can find Philip on Twitter at Philip Seuss. You also see it in the show notes. Philip is an interesting case. He's an economist who has written a few reports for us uh, probably seven or eight years ago, including speculative vacancies, has uh, entered the world of Twitter and just pumps out the most incredible information every day. So uh, fantastic, Philip, to have you back on The Renegade Economist. Must be uh, four or five years, I think, since you were last on. Good to be here, Carl. Now, what does the perfect storm for Australian real estate look like to you? It's essentially what's happening right now with the implementation of the Royal Commission looking into the criminality of the banks, which are gushing out uh, like a torrent. The Royal Commission has not just found a few skeletons in the closet, rather it's found entire graveyards which are just pouring out of the closet. And it (laughs) happens to be the only force in in a country that our powerful banks are afraid of. They're certainly not afraid of the regulators or the government or the public, let alone the coalition, which is currently in power. And the Royal Commission is a real game changer because for the first time since deregulation of the 1980s, it's enforcing um, adherence to the rule of law, uh, especially uh, credit law which stipulates that banks must be responsible in their lending practices. And that's resulted in a real clampdown on the supply of credit, both on the demand side to borrowers and also on the supply side to developers and builders. And that's currently got the market in the bill of a fizzle at the moment, which is why we're seeing a real uh, downturn in prices over the last uh, 12 months. And it would likely uh, accelerate through 2019 as well. Yes, I mean, really, this is an incredible perfect storm. And whilst you're putting a lot of the uh, responsibility for this downturn on the Royal Commission, we mustn't also forget the incidence of interest-only loans and them rolling over was was also... uh, A lot of them are falling due right now, so... uh, it is a perfect storm for real estate and alongside discussions about cutting back immigration rates, uh, there's a lot to handle uh, after 27 years of uninterrupted growth for the Australian economy. Certainly, we've had the combination of the Royal Commission at the same time that the regulators have imposed the substantial interest-only loan reset. As we know, uh, the flow of new interest-only loans reached a a proportion of peaking at 46% back in 2014, uh, which is quite substantial. And so uh, the regulators thereafter, um, APRA and the RBA, decided to clamp down on them, um, including, and this is a critical point, uh, resetting um, existing interest-only loans to principal and interest. And as RBA has shown, this amounts to about $120 a year over 2018 through to 2021. 
um, and peaking next year in 2019. And this will uh, radically increase uh, total debt payments uh, for a lot of uh, both uh, homeowners and uh, especially uh, investors, investors who took, uh, were taking out interest only loans up to a rate of 60 to 70% of all uh, loans, uh, investor loans originated. And uh, at the same time that the Royal Commission is clamping down on the front end of new borrowers, uh, which is quite significant. The interest-only reset is affecting um, existing borrowers, and which will probably cause quite a few who are over-leveraged to sell up, which will simply add to further downward pressure in the housing market. Hmm. Yes, it's been fascinating seeing this this uh, debate between uh, the two major federal parties, uh, Labor and the Libs, and the at the time, Treasurer Scott Morrison was saying, look, we need a scalpel to unwind this housing uh, monster that's upon us. And uh, firstly, uh, back in uh, 2014, they limited the amount of uh, lending that banks could give to investors. And then uh, in, uh, I think, March 2016, uh, it was the interest-only lending benchmark to wind that back as well. So... They've been in play, and then on top of this, this Royal Commission has come out. So uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, everyone's been pulling out numbers on how far the market is is going to fall. Uh, So what is unfolding for you at the moment? Where do you see Australian house prices will be in another 12 months? Thankfully, it's pretty easy to see where prices are going, thanks to a number of uh, short-term indicators, uh, such as the most important is the debt accelerator. Um, There are other ones such as auction clearance rates, um, uh, annual sales growth, and sales to new listing ratio. And all four of them are showing that prices will continue down for at least a minimum of the next six months. And given the current dynamics in the market, um, especially with the Royal Commission, we can certainly expect 2019 to be a real crunch year for Australian property. And the most important sub-markets in Australia happen to be the single detached housing market in both uh, Sydney and Melbourne. And this is important because they're the largest, single largest markets. And they also happen to be the most uh, over-leveraged and uh, uh, over-valued and um, highly unaffordable markets there are. And we've seen, according to uh, recent figures, that Melbourne house prices have fallen by about 6% and for Sydney about 8% over the year. And if we can expect these prices to drop, say, by 1% a month over 2019, then that's another 12% fall. And if they decrease by 1.5% per month next year, then that's up to 18% in nominal terms. And if you mm. add, uh, say, 2 or 3% um, inflation, in real terms, that fall is even larger. So it's quite significant. It certainly is, but uh, you, you remember back to uh, mid-2012, uh, the GFC was still uh, having its effects and uh, there was a lot of concern over banks to bailouts and whatnot. Uh, uh, but to... 
to take it forward uh, another uh, six years and to think that property prices in Melbourne have increased by 55% over that time, some 18 to 20% correction is uh, really not that that much. Uh, do you think that we're going to get to a level where uh, people are going to recognise that this commodification of housing is a huge danger to the financial stability of our economy? I think to a large degree, uh, people do recognise this, which is why the establishment has been so hell-bent on simply inflating prices to the greatest possible extent and just kicking in the can down the road. Definitely um, during the GFC, the Rudd government recognised this by bringing in the first homeowners grant and including uh, implementing a great deal of supports uh, to ensure that the banking system could still uh, keep on lending out credit to the housing market. And since then, it's just been uh, uh, interest rate cuts, you know, stamp duty discounts and the like, just keeping the uh, gravy tra train running. And so far, the establishment, and it's a, it's a bipartisan effort between the coalition and Labor, and of course, the corporate sector and the unions, they're all in on it except the one thing has changed now, uh, and that's the Royal Commission, which the, once uh, it, uh, the ball got rolling on that, uh, you know, the government couldn't, um, couldn't intimidate it, nothing can. Um, and so that's been the, the one game changer that's had such an effect because it's for the first time in a long time, it's enforcing credit standards. And it's quite profound, even uh, with the short-term data we've been able to uh, find. For instance, over the year, uh, mortgage applications, uh, the rejections have skyrocketed about 1,200%. The oh. rejections for, for existing borrowers back in uh, 2017, that was 5% over the year. Uh, 2018, it's now 40%. Uh, we now know that about 50% of new applications are rejected and 90% of those who do, do gain uh, pre-approval are having their mortgage uh, sizes cut down. And so it's not uh, unexpected to see, uh, for instance, property investors who are able to get you know, six, $700,000 uh, loans um, uh, almost straight away, they're having that cut down by half. And so it's having a very profound effect, uh, which is why we're seeing the debt accelerator uh, plummet. And uh, certainly uh, for those who expect that there's going to be some sort of uh, moderation or even a liftoff um, next year, uh, we'll be sorely disappointed. Mm, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, consternation as to whether this is going to be a big correction or a small one uh, in terms of uh, what we call the 18-year property cycle. Uh, yeah, I remember talking to Philip Anderson about this and uh, it was he, as one of the leading thinkers on this GAN chart, uh, this 18-year um, type cycle, is this 2019-2020 downturn going to be a mid-cycle correction of just a couple of years or will it be larger because uh, we had no correction, no major correction in 20, 
10, 2012, uh, and perhaps we've switched over to the Chinese cycle. So, uh, yeah, what do you think? Is this the big one coming up or uh, are things going to um, rectify after a couple of years and, and continue onwards? There are pressures either way. Due to the Royal Commission, which is a very unique form of state intervention, uh, it's basically taken a surgeon's scalpel to the very cause of inflated land prices, which is overlending and uh, control fraud by the banks. And so I think we will definitely have um, a larger than expected uh, downturn, uh, especially throughout uh, 2019. However, because the government, whether it's Liberal or Labor, could see that the writing's on the wall. I reckon the government uh, of the day, including um, the regulators, will have no choice but to pull back from uh, credit enforcement. And don't forget the Royal Commission finishes in February 2019. So by the end of 2019, um, even early 2020, uh, that'll be a year uh, thereafter. And so they'll eventually pull back. And don't forget, the lower the accelerator uh, falls, the easier it is to reinflate prices because all it takes is just the slightest uh, uh, increase in credit growth to then reinflate the uh, the debt accelerator uh, into a positive position and to essentially stabilise prices and to even grow them. And I fully expect the establishment, again, it's bipartisan, to... Um, basically back off and to do everything they can, throw everything but the the kitchen sink to keep the um, property market um, uh, stable and to um, inflate it. But given the immediate effects of the Royal Commission, I would expect uh, uh, quite a um, considerable downturn um, in 2019. But there are also countervailing factors such as um, strong uh, rent growth uh, we can see that that will come from the substantial cuts to um, uh, income tax, whether it's the uh, the coalition or the Labor's plan, uh, an eventual uh, sh- shortage of housing. At the moment, uh, the, the supply is pretty strong, but certainly the current downturn in both sales and prices will cause um, a downturn in construction. This is what everyone predicts. Uh, will occur. And at the same time, given that there's no cut to our extremist immigration program, we can eventually expect um, uh, the surplus that's occurring in our capital cities to eventually transition into deficits and cause um, a shortage and then um, uh, greater uh, rent increases, um, even in the face of fairly stagnant um, wage growth. And so that can, um, uh, an increase in yields can uh, certainly underpin um, uh, a return to um, housing price inflation, especially as uh, uh, the regulators and the government back off from their um, strict uh, credit enforcement that we're currently seeing. Listeners, a lot to take in on today's Renegade Economist. We're with Philip Seuss, 
Twitter superstar, independent economist, and uh, yeah, someone who's got his finger on the pulse between uh, the banking sector, real estate, insurance, the whole fire sector, we call it here on the Renegades. Uh, yeah, it's it's all seems to be crumbling, but uh, Philip's uh, giving us some tips there that uh, perhaps really it's going to come down to whether they cut immigration um, rather strongly, even though 190,000 places were expected for this last uh, financial year, only 160,000 permanent residents were accepted. So uh, will those trends continue uh, over the next year? That will have a big bearing, I dare say, on what happens to uh, the property market and the extent to this downturn. Certainly, Carl. While there's slated to be a, about uh, 160 to 190,000 um, uh, new permanent residents, don't forget there's also the uh, continual churn of an extra 100,000 or so of uh, uh, temporary uh, immigrants on top of that, which do need to be housed uh, in the country, especially in um, Melbourne and Sydney. And when you look at the various supply-demand um, factors, um, looking at the supply, uh, flow of new housing compared to uh, new household formation, definitely uh, uh, immigration underpins uh, the, the rent increases uh, uh, that we've been seeing um, since Howard o- opened the immigration doors in the mid-2000s. And it's little surprise why every property parasite in the country uh, just uh, foams at the mouth and just rants and raves at any suggestion that our uh, extremist immigration um, rates should be uh, cut. And unfortunately, if you look across the uh, policies of our uh, major political parties, uh, Liberal, Nationals, Labor, Greens, they're all very much in favour of uh, stronger uh, immigration. And uh, interestingly, you see a, a union between not only those uh, political parties, but also the corporate sector and then unions, uh, but for different reasons. So, for instance, uh, you have the industry, the, the fire sector, and they want all these uh, uh, immigrants uh, far in excess of the, uh, the capacity of our economy to absorb, including infrastructure and uh, the labour market, uh, simply to uh, generate more profit. Uh, for big business uh, to squeeze out more land rents uh, in the market. And for unions, um, they're very much uh, dependent upon uh, construction jobs, which again uh, uh, results from uh, high prices, uh, greater sales. So they're very much in on the scam as well. So it's it's very much uh, bipartisan uh, across the political spectrum, including the economic spectrum um, between the corporate sector and unions. And so, yeah, you get a few you know, voices on the fringe, such as myself and others like Macrobus and so on, who have said, OK, look, the immigration rate is just uh, far too high. Uh, we need to reduce it to more you know, sustainable long-run measures, such as uh, reducing it to 70000 per year. But unfortunately, um, uh, such a sensible uh, perspective simply gets drowned out in the deluge of uh, propaganda from the vested interests. So, Philip, if you were in Kenneth Haynes' uh, position as the uh, Chief Commissioner uh, into this inquiry into the banking sector, what sort of recommendations would you be making to uh, uh, improve 
the the quality of uh, the financial services that are provided. Is it necessary to strengthen the arm of the regulators like ASIC and so forth, or are there other measures that uh, mightn't cost so much money? Well, if I was Hain, the first thing I would do is advocate an extension for another half decade for the Royal Commission, including uh, massively increasing its funding because since the 1980s, we have very good research showing that uh, as soon as deregulation was enacted and and Australia was uh, underwent one of the most rapid reforms of uh, financial deregulation in the West under um, Hawke and Keating, that criminality immediately um, uh, burst forth uh, from the industry. But it's never been addressed uh, uh, given how our patsy regulators, uh, including the ombudsman, have been thoroughly captured uh, by the financial services industry, including both sides of government. So I would definitely recommend a lengthening of the Royal Commission, including critically looking into the the bank's uh, loan books and performing a uh, forensic investigation to ferret out all the uh, fraudulent um, loans on the books and looking at the research which has been provided by the most authoritative sources such as the Royal Commission and the and the regulators over the years, um, it's quite possible that up to 80% of all mortgages have some sort of um, you know, fraudulent um, uh, aspect to them, whether it's um, understated expenses or in inflated uh, incomes or uh, unusually low um, mortgage interest rate uh, buffers and minimum floors, which is allowed for the um, yeah, origination of a great deal of mortgages that should never have been uh, made in the first place, which helps to explain why property prices are so high in, in Australia, both historically and globally. So if I was Hain, that'd be the first thing I'd do. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we don't really need... Uh, new laws or regulations, as Hain has explicitly um, uh, uh, mentioned, what we simply need is the enforcement of existing regulations that have always existed, um, whether it's been the previous um, UCCC, uh, which uh, basically enforced responsible lending, or the new NCCP. Again, there's not much difference between the two. It's just, you know, banks have to perform serviceability assessments to ensure that the loans are affordable over the long term. And that's just not what's been happening, Mm. Uh, which explains that given the uh, current uh, credit uh, um, enforcement, which is why uh, mortgage application rejections have been skyrocketing. Now, now the establishment has has been saying for years that uh, we have uh, the... The banks have been lending responsibly, but if you look at uh, the, the rejections, which are skyrocketing, uh, how, how can that be the case if um, the Royal Commission is merely enforcing existing and conservative um, prudent lending regulations? Mm. It, it's something that does. Uh, not quite right there. I note that uh, our colleague Denise Braley has suggested a black box label be applied to every financial product and a significant cooling off period enacted. What does she mean there by a black box label? Well, basically it's to warn uh, consumers that they could, uh, they're at risk of uh, being defrauded and could potentially lose um, everything they have. And it's also designed to help consumers think about 
how dangerous it is, considering just how thoroughly criminal our financial services industry is. Definitely, uh, having dealt with defrauded uh, consumers, they think that the regulators are on their side and that the, the, the financial markets are regulated, but that's just not the case. And uh, when consumers uh, have an issue and they go to regulators like APRA, ASIC, the Ombudsman and so on, they just get told to bugger off or, or they're just um, shunted into a raw deal, which gives them just a, you know, a, a fraction off uh, their loans uh, that they've been defrauded with mm. um, and then they're just left to their own devices. So having a black box warning would definitely get people thinking about, you know, do they really need uh, to take upon this um, financial product? And with a substantial cooling off period, and we're talking about a month here, it could really help uh, people think you know, uh, about navigating the dangers of our um, industry, which are just full of sharks. And that simple reform, I think, could go a long way to helping people avoid being defrauded. There's certainly interesting times, Philip. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on today's Renegade Economist. I was trying to get us uh, onto uh, this incredible article you've written on Independent Australia, how the fossil fuels industry taxes us to death, literally. But uh, listeners, we're out of time, so uh, make sure you check that out in the show notes. It's another jaw-dropper from Philip Seuss where you just pounded with statistics and reports from around the world that uh, reinforce uh, the fact that we can't listen to industry experts anymore. We need outside opinions to provide the sort of uh, objective analysis that we should be getting. So, Philip, thank you for your time today and thanks for all the great work you're doing online. Good luck with that PhD of yours. Thank you, Carl. Don't you love that, listeners? After 11 years on air, great to have people like Philip Seuss who have come along and delved into this information we talk about here on The Renegade Economist and uh, lifted it up a few levels. He's primarily focused on the banking sector, but also writes incredibly detailed work on the role of uh, rent-seeking from uh, this game of mates and just how costly it is for the Australian and global economy. His articles are uh, picked up and referenced internationally. Really just so good to see that uh, more people are picking up on on the importance of these stories as uh, I sit over my lunch today reading Jessica Irvine in the Fairfax Press quoting Ross Garno about the need for greater use of resource rents. Chris Richardson from Access Economics uh, talking about the need to replace stamp duties with a broad-based land tax. So uh, these are all things that we talk about here on 3CR's Renegade Economist and have uh, for now 570 shows. It's uh, just four weeks to go until uh, the weekly show is uh, no more. So uh, I'm looking forward to reclaiming my Wednesdays and producing uh, many more reports yeah, to finish this off, I just thought maybe we do actually have time to slide through this uh, piece by Seuss uh, that will arm you with a whole array of new facts and figures to take anyone on. It's called How the Fossil Fuels Industry Taxes Us to Death, Literally. In it, he critiques the conservative push that uh, the $2.5 billion in uh, RET state programs 
uh, as demonised by the Conservatives is really not much at all when you consider that uh, the health costs arising from air pollution, uh, primarily from the fossil fuels industry, has been estimated at somewhere between $11.1 to $24.3 billion, 10 times what the renewables industry gets. That's just one section. There's maybe 15 different data points through this uh, article, but I'm just going to highlight a couple here. Uh, Seuss writes, Australia's tax concessions for the fossil fuels industry are enormous, estimated at $11 billion for 2018, sourced via federal government budget papers. Uh, further, the nation has lost around $90 billion in resource rent taxes from the oil and gas industries. Yes, what Ross Garno is talking about, one of Australia's uh, most respected economists, what Philip Seuss here is referencing, it's a long line of uh, reformers recognising that monopolists should be paying for uh, the running of government, not the workers. And uh, one of the eyebrow-raising uh, points in this article by Seuss uh, was, uh, not well known is the condition of licensing new coal mines including expansions, is that such mines are obliged by government to provide their output to coal-fired generators at prices far below export rates. Otherwise, generators would have to purchase coal at current export rates, sharply increasing costs and rendering the plants unprofitable. Wow. So uh, there we have some some huge distortions in the pricing system. Subsidised coal for the uh, smokestack generators at prices below export rates. We don't get that for gas though, do we? Because uh, gas setting the marginal price for power allows these smokestack generators to jack up prices further and enjoy these easy profits. All right, make sure you check out earthsharing.org.au prosper.org.au. Some of the trends we're talking about tonight uh, regarding the state of Australia's economy will be discussed uh, next Wednesday, the 5th of December at our uh, North Melbourne offices. Come along at 6pm for our monthly discussion where we have these kind of discussions around a table, a bit of pizza, a bit of wine and a few laughs. All right, thanks for listening. Speak to you next week. How did, how did I beat you? This is middle... The town looks to me as friend and counsel. And landlord and banker. Can we proceed? Thank you. I say the future is ours! What's wrong? Nothing. If you can count. This is middle class privileged elite in most countries. You have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world. But they will not talk. But they will not talk. But they will not talk. Free Sierra.